0: Go ahead and open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be finishing up this chapter and beginning the next chapter this morning. We'll be going through chapter 2, verse 3. And as you turn there, I want you to be thinking what is love? How would you define love? How does Scripture define love? How does our world define love? What what does that look like? Are those things different? I believe that how we define love is of utmost importance. Today, we're going to be looking at a command, one of the many commands in Scripture, to love one another. Okay, but that raises the question, who, who gets to decide what love is? You know, as I was thinking about this, I think one of the greatest examples of human love should be marriage. Marriage. And you can look at how our world deals with marriage and understands marriage to understand what love is. There's a very popular, very catchy song by Bruno Mars. It's one of those that comes on the radio, and you, see, you know the foot starts tapping and the head starts bopping, and it's it's a fun song. It says, "I think I want to marry you." It's a great song. People play it at their weddings. Don't play this at a wedding. Listen to the lyrics and just understand this is a window. Okay, and I'm not trying to beat up the song. Okay, it's it's a fun, catchy song for what it's supposed to be, but the fact that he makes this about marriage tells us something about our culture's view of marriage. Listen to some of the lyrics. It's a beautiful night. We're th- we're looking for something dumb to do. Hey, baby, I think I want to marry you. What's the dumbest thing I could think of right now? Hey, let's go get married. That is not a good start for a lifelong relationship of love. Is it the look in your eyes or is it this dancing juice? Now you can read into that whatever you want. Something chemically is going on in his system. Some sort of drink, I don't know. Makes me think, hey, let's go get married. Who cares, baby? I think I want to marry you. I'll go get a ring. This is later on in the song. Let the choir bell sing. So what you want to do? Let's just run, girl. If we now listen to this, if we wake up after the marriage and you want to break up, that's cool. No, I won't blame you. It was fun, girl. And and all of this is wrapped in such a very clever. I'm a musician, musically, I can appreciate it. It's it's a good song in that sense, musically. Philosophically, theologically, what an absolute mess. Is this what we think is the greatest expression of love? what I think will make me happy in this moment based on whatever whim I'm experiencing, even if that whim is is influenced by alcohol or whatever else. And I just want to have fun in the moment for as long as it lasts. Let's just go get married. And if in another moment we feel differently, if in another moment something else seems like fun, something else seems fulfilling, well, then we'll just go do something else who cares it doesn't matter is that love absolutely not but you know it's an extreme extreme example but in many ways i think that is the way our world sees love i mean we may not be that blatantly honest about it at times but isn't that what we've come to accept or, or that we see as our culture's definition of love. And so take that, this skewed, distorted idea of love, and then we come into today's passage where Peter challenges us, calls us to love one another deeply from the heart, and we better be very cur- careful what we mean by love because it's going to profoundly impact the passage and our understanding of it today. Let's... Just catch you up, look at a a little bit of context in case you haven't been here for the rest of the series, or you forget, either way, Um, I understand. By the way, we we got an extra hour last night, right? So I get to preach for an extra hour, isn't that the way that works? Just that math works out, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) The, the, The retired pastor says, yep, that's right. Okay, good. So the context here in First Peter is it's written to Christians who have been scattered. If you look at verse 1 there, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. And we know from reading more in First Peter, we've talked about these people, these Christians were not only scattered throughout the Roman Empire, but they were beginning to experience suffering for their faith. The culture that had been sort of kind of okay with what they believed was now beginning to doubt what they believed and to see that, uh, really to look upon the Christians with suspicion and doubt and concern. And there was beginning to be this animosity between the culture and the Christians. Now we know, studying history, later on in another decade or so after First Peter writes this, that, that full-on persecution will break out many of the people receiving Peter's letter, including Peter himself, will die for their faith. Uh, the emperor, the Roman emperor at that time, was an absolute madman. He would make a sport out of persecuting and killing Christians. And we've talked about looking at First Peter through the lens of, of being a Christian today, And and I think we need to be careful to not say, oh my goodness, the whole world is out to get us. Everything's falling apart. We're losing our society. But I think we also need to be careful to say what we believe is out of line with what the world believes. And so in many ways, we're going through a lot of the same things that Peter is writing about here. The beginnings of some persecution, I don't know where or how it's going to play itself out in the future. That's up to God. But I do know we have a lot to learn from this text. And so that's why we are looking at it at this time as a church. So he talks about these Christians that are scattered. They're going through grief and all kinds of trials. That comes from verse 6. And this letter is written to help them through that. And what would you expect from a letter written to Christians going through difficult time and, and suffering for their faith? I would kind of expect survival skills. And here's how to just hold on to being a Christian as everything falls apart around you. I would expect kind of... Put your head down and just focus on who you are as a church. Just get the holy huddle and just survive. If you can just survive, that's all you need to do. And I think some of us in our faith, that's, that's how we approach difficulty. The other thing you might express or expect is like a battle plan, right? Here's how we're going to change the world. We're going to go to war with our culture. We're going to take over the world for Jesus Christ. They won't defeat us. Let's get out there and fight. And you don't see that in 1 Peter either. Peter calls them and us today, first and foremost, to focus on who we are in Jesus Christ, to know who we are as Christians. If we don't get our identity in Christ right, nothing else will be right. And so we have to start there. We looked at that last week, who we are in Jesus Christ. How does that make us different? We've been looking at that really over the past several weeks. And so Peter reminds them in chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, to focus on what Christ has done for them, or rather what God has done for them through Jesus Christ. Then in verses 13 to 21 of chapter 1, he says, now this is how you're to live this out in this world that doesn't support what you believe. And now he turns to how they should treat each other. So we looked at last week, what is our relationship with the world? And and he uses this call to be holy, set apart for a purpose. And now today, what's our relationship with one another? These two themes, who we are in Christ and how we should treat one another, run throughout the rest of this book. And they're so crucial for us as Christians, and yet I think we get so caught up with things going on outside the church that we forget that we need to start by looking here. Here inside the church, inside our own hearts, inside our own relationships, how we are being loving or unloving to one another. So let's look at this passage. Let me read it for us. Chapter 1 of 1 Peter, uh, starting in verse 22, and we'll go through chapter 2, verse 3. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love each other deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so Peter starts with this command to love one another. That's what this passage is about. I kind of struggled with that as I read it because there's a lot about the Word of God. Is this about the Word of God and being true to the Word of God, or is this about loving one another? You know what the answer is? Yes. (laughs) But the main subject, the command that Peter's giving is actually to love one another. And he's going to bring in the word of God as as the important foundation of that. And that's how we avoid the kind of the whims of this culture. We base our love on something stronger, something unchangeable. We must base our love on on truth. Look at verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. What does he mean there by purified your, yourselves by obeying the truth, right? We believe that you are saved by faith through grace. We don't earn our salvation. You don't clean yourself up to be good enough for God. So is Peter going against that? And it's important when you dig into Scripture to allow the the author, to speak for himself. What is he saying? Peter has used this idea of obeying the truth is talking about coming to believe in Jesus Christ. This is how he says it. Because he looks at it and he says, before we're Christians, we live one way. We obey a certain set of rules, presuppositions, philosophies, all the ways of our culture, what our heart wants. We live that way and we live in obedience to that way. And Peter sees that becoming a Christian is such a fundamentally different way of living. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, yes, it's through faith, but it's because we turn our life through faith to obey Jesus Christ. He says faith lives itself out in obedience. So this is how Peter has talked about this. In chapter 1, verse 2, he talks about to God's elect scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and then verse 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. So this is Peter's way of referencing salvation. And I think it's good to bring in this idea that if you are saved, there is to be an obedience. For, for Peter, you don't separate those two things. They go hand in hand. So he's talking about now that you have been saved, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. And he brings in that idea of purity. He's going to play that out more later on. And we looked at holiness last week as well. For Peter, he looks at the riches of the Old Testament, how God called his people out of the world to live in a special relationship with himself, to live holy as God is holy, to be God's representatives in the world. And Peter says, just like in the Old Testament, today, those saved by Jesus Christ, we too have been called out of the world to live differently. We are to live pure and holy lives. And again, this goes back to what we talked about last week, so I won't go into all of it again. But he's bringing all that in. He's basically saying, if I could sum it up, now that you're saved. And, and maybe I could even put it this way, if you are saved, here's what needs to be true about you. And so beginning at This passage, Peter's going to call us to focus on who we are and the difference that makes in our life. And then, naturally, he goes on from there to say, this is how we must love one another. Love one another. Salvation through Jesus Christ must always be coupled with love for other believers. Look at what he says there. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other. It's almost like he assumes it there. If you've really been saved, you must have a sincere love for each other. This is how natural it is for Peter to move between these two topics. Salvation through Jesus Christ, love among believers. For Peter and for all of the writers of Scripture, there is absolutely no concept of loving Christ and being unloving toward others that are saved by Jesus Christ. Because in Scripture, our relationship with Christ is not just about us in Christ. It brings us together. There's such a modern movement. I I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I I have a relationship with Jesus, but I don't want to get together with other Christians because they're all a bunch of hypocrites, which is true, by the way. I mean... None of us completely, fully live out what we believe. We're sinners. Our theology tells us that. The little unknown secret that those people don't understand is, so are you. Come with the other sinners saved by grace through Jesus Christ and let's glorify Him together. Let's love Him together. And so here's the command. Now, he's assuming, again, he says, if you are saved, you will love one another. Now, here's the command. He says, you better do it well. You better be intentional about showing that love to one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. And we need to be careful, again, reading in our own mind. A mindset here you know we think of heart and head this is the head is where we think from it's the seat of our logic and our will and the heart is where we feel from it's our emotions that's not really a greek understanding it's a modern day understanding I, and i was thinking this morning like a thousand years in the future if somebody understood that and it really is kind of silly right because your heart's just it's literally just a, a a muscle that pumps blood i mean there's there's no emotion in that thing right it's all up here let's just be honest okay But if we look back to their culture, when they say the heart, it's the center of who you are. It's the sum total of everything. So yes, they had a concept of mind as thinking, but the heart was everything. Don't leave anything out. To love someone with your heart, according to scripture, is to love them with your mind, your emotions, and your actions. It's everything. So when he says love from the heart, love each other with everything God has given you. It's very easy to get lazy in our love for one another. And and let me just say, too, Peter is talking in this passage about love between Christians. That's not to say, and Peter would never say, oh, we don't have to love anybody else, forget them, just love each other. That's not what we're saying, but if we can't get it right here first among us as Christians, And, and here's where it gets really difficult, among us and other Christians, if we can't get that right, we're never going to understand what it means to love those outside in the world, especially those that are even the ones persecuting us. We've got to love one another. We've got to love one another deeply, sincerely, with purpose. So Peter's main point here is, is to focus on and be intentional, put effort into showing love toward one another as Christians. In John chapter 17 verse 21, Jesus is praying shortly before he goes to the cross. It's a beautiful passage. One of the things he prays for is unity among believers. And in that passage, he says something very interesting. He says, may they also be in us. He's talking about Christians loving each other as much as the Father loves the Son and the Holy Spirit, which is like, that is the ultimate perfect relationship right there. And and he's praying for that for Christians. May they love each other in that way. And he says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That passage hits me like a ton of bricks and should hit every Christian like a ton of bricks. Our love for one another is not only a demonstration of our faith in Jesus Christ, it is, according to Jesus himself, a proof of what we believe. Now flip that on its head. What does it mean then if we are unloving toward one another? It means we don't really believe the gospel. Or at the very least, we are showing others a distorted view of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How we love one another is a gospel issue. If we truly believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have no choice, nor should we want one, but to show love to one another. Now I hope you're all sitting here thinking, of course, I want to be loving and I want to be loved. But remember the context of this passage. These are Christians struggling. And I don't know about you, but when I struggle, it's really easy to lash out. It's really easy to complain. To kind of say things to my wife without being careful. To hurt those around me without being careful. And and so Peter's saying, yes, you're struggling. I, I get it. You're hurting. Here's where you need to focus. Know who you are in Jesus Christ and then show love to one another. I don't know exactly where our culture is going. I have some idea that to some degree it's going to follow the pattern that did in the Roman Empire and that more difficult times are ahead for us as Christians. It's possible. I don't know when. I'm not a prophet. But I do know this. No matter what happens in our culture, Christians, we've got to be intentional about showing love to one another. Our love is to be based on the truth that we are saved by Jesus Christ. Now, we would expect that after a command like this to love one another, Peter would go on and say, now this is what that love looks like. Here's how to do it. But before he does that, and he will get to that in later passages, he's going to start by helping us to understand why. We must love each other that way. And he talks about this love that endures. Look at verses 23 through 25. It says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. But the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Love in this world, and and the Bruno Mars song is a great example of this, it's fleeting, It's, it's passing. Love is just something that you happen to feel at that moment. It's just whatever makes you happy in that moment. Peter's having none of that. He says our love has to be based on something outside of ourselves, something that's not conditioned on our personal happiness or fulfillment in that moment. Our love as Christians must go deeper. We can't just stop loving someone the moment we feel like it. And Peter quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, which is really interesting. The book of Isaiah was written by Isaiah the prophet during a time when God's people in the Old Testament were falling apart. They had not been faithful to God. God had been warning them generation after generation, come back to me. I love you. Don't run away from me. Come back. If you don't come back to me, I'm going to bring in these foreign armies. They're going to take your home from you. You're going to go into exile. Come back, come back, come back. And during the time of Isaiah, God brings his judgment on his people. And for years, their world falls apart. Foreign armies come in, sack their homes, kill thousands of people in Israel, take others off to exile. It's a horrific time. And then you get to Isaiah chapter 40, and it's the beginning of this comfort passage in the book of Isaiah starts out, comfort, comfort my people. And that's the passage that Peter is quoting from. And I hope you can see the link. As Peter sees it, he's, he's trying to digest what they're going through as Christians and his mind naturally goes into the Old Testament to say, hey, God's been through this before. What did he say to his people then? And one of the things that God said to his people is this. As these foreign armies are coming in, As their leaders were trying to figure out how do we do things our way? How do we fix it all our way? As the people were saying, how do we fix all this? The word of the Lord comes in. All people are like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Now, on the one hand, that's incredibly comforting. As they were being beaten up by foreign powers, human powers, to hear from the Lord, hey, they're nothing. I know they seem like a big deal to you, but understand they're really nothing. On the other hand, that message is also quite challenging. We go through tough times and we go, God, I got this. I got this all figured out. I know what we can do to get through this. And the word of the Lord says, all people are like grass, including us. In all their glories like the flowers of the field, including us. Ooh, that one hurts. And so it brings perspective on situations. But the contrast that God gives is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, which we have in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25. But the word of the Lord endures forever. These people were going through a time thinking, God, you gave us promises and you're not fulfilling them. You've forgotten us. You've given up on us. You've walked away from us. Everything is falling apart. And the prophet speaks the very word of God. Remember, the word of the Lord endures forever. It doesn't change with changing circumstances. It doesn't change with changing feelings. Now why? Why does Peter go from how we should love one another to the word of the Lord endures forever? Because what he's going to say is our love for one another must be based on the word of God. That doesn't change, that endures forever. He looks at how we became Christians. We did not become Christians by this perishable seed, right? A a farmer would take a seed and store it up in barns, and sometimes it would get moldy and gross and it would fall away, and they'd go to plant it, and oh, it's all gone. Other times they would throw it on the ground and it wouldn't grow. It was perishable. Didn't always work. You were kind of at the whim of, of the weather and the wind and how well you stored it and whether a, a worm got in and ate your seed. And he's saying that's not how you became a Christian. The gospel is not some perishable seed that kind of, sort of, might happen to work. It says this is the very word of the Lord. This is the word that was preached to you. And so after telling them to love each other, he says, this is how you are to base your love on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, if the gospel doesn't change, if the gospel is imperishable, never fails, never falls apart, then what should our love for one another be like? Should it ever be based on how we happen to feel about someone? Or should it always be based on the fact that I'm saved by Jesus and you're saved by Jesus? Therefore, I love you. And we will fight together for that love. Don't miss the link here for Peter between knowing truth and showing love. If we know the truth of the gospel, we will and must show love. Which means if you're struggling with another christian and you can't love them what is it saying about your understanding of the gospel now don't get me wrong it's not easy there's nothing about this there's nothing about first peter that is easy this is all being lived out in a very difficult circumstance but when things fall apart and get tough that's when we've got to focus on what's most important You know, it's interesting because Peter is linking love with truth. I think in our world we want to separate those two. Well, don't speak truth to me, just love me. I was listening to a radio show. Don't ask me why. I was probably just in my car, turned it on, and this came up. It was a radio show on punk rock. It happened to be on. And it, it wasn't the music, it was an interview. It's just really interesting hearing an interview about punk rock. But they were talking about kind of the roots of of punk rock as being this freedom of expression. Anything goes, fighting the power, nobody gets to tell you what to do. That's like the very essence of punk rock music. But as they were talking, they began to talk about how judgmental people in the punk rock scene are of each other. And they were talking about, isn't it ironic that in this musical genre that that supports uh, just personal expression, anything goes, fight the power, that they're going to talk to one another like, you don't express enough, you don't fight the power enough, or you don't fight the power the way I fight the power. Your your punk rockedness is not as much as mine. And, and they said it's actually a very judgmental music scene at times. And I thought... Isn't that interesting? That this concept of freedom of expression, just loving one another, just being who you are apart from truth, inevitably leads to being judgmental, bitter, and harsh. We have the most powerful reason in the world to love one another. Not according to worldly ideas or personal preference, but according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Peter goes on from there to talk about what happens if we don't love one another that way. And he uses this idea of craving. What do you crave? Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good an interesting time of year to talk about craving, right? Because we just had Halloween and uh, kids come back from trick-or-treating and there's a few things I'm hoping to see in their bags. Otherwise, they're going right back out. (laughs) I don't care if it's pouring rain. Got to get those specific things. And when they come in, you get your, cut. like that's you. I would never do that, uh, hypothetically speaking. So he begins here and we've talked about this and this is such a good Rule of thumb for interpreting Scripture. When you see a therefore, go back and see what it's there for, right? Have you ever heard that? It's one of those simple little things. So what is he saying? Therefore, well, he's saying because of all of this, because of who you are in Jesus Christ and the fact that you must therefore love one another, because all of that is true, here's what you need to do. Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. When scripture tells us to do something, it often also tells us to not do other things. There's, a, there's this category of putting things off. Get it out of your life. Don't do that. And then there's this other category of here's what to put on. Here's how to live. And it's all based on the truth of what Christ has done for us. This list is really fairly self-explanatory, which is a pastor's way of saying I'm going to explain it to you. So he says, speaking of hypocrisy, he says... Get rid of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And and I, I try to look at these words and see is there a deeper meaning that I want to bring out. I mean, they are what they say they are. What's interesting, though, as I thought about this, is what they all have in common. They're all about how we view or interact with somebody else. Malice is kind of hatred or bitterness or anger toward one, toward another person. Deceit is me telling you what I want to get what I want out of you. Hypocrisy is is trying to show you what I want, regardless of what I actually believe or think. I'm going to live or speak in such a way to get you to see me in a certain way. It doesn't matter if it's true of what I really believe. Envy is you have something I want. I want to be more like you in some way. Slander is I will speak negatively about you to somebody else to get that somebody else to see me the way I want or to see you the way I want them to see you. And I thought, what do these all have in common? They're all focused on what we want in relation to one another. How do I make myself look good to you? How do I make you look bad to somebody else? How do I get what I want out of you? When our actions and our attitudes are defined by our own desires, then our actions and our attitudes tend to fall into these categories. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. When we crave getting what we want, being heard, proving our case, our own personal happiness or our own comfort, we will tend to live out these destructive tendencies. And the gospel calls us to something better. When our actions and our attitudes are defined by the unchanging truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we will love one another with a sincere heart. When we crave the gospel, when that's our greatest desire, that desire will show itself in our life by how we treat other Christians, other brothers and sisters. So, what's the solution? So he says, put these things off. And then verse 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Peter has a strong emphasis on you're not who you are. And he uses this phrase, you're, you're like a newborn in Jesus Christ. You've been born again. You're not who you are. You're not going in that direction. You have a new birth. And then he says, now live like it. The baby needs to grow up and live as a human being. You need to grow up and live as a Christian. I need to grow up and live as a Christian. Be who you are talked about that last week. And what he's saying here, because some translations might have, um, I think it's maybe crave the word of God or does anybody have that? Crave God's spiritual word or something like that. This word here for spiritual is really interesting and difficult to translate. And so we need to understand what what is this pure spiritual milk we're trying to run after. And we need to first understand what it's not. Elsewhere in Scripture, Paul will talk about you need to grow up. Move on from milk. Milk is good when you're a baby Christian, but at some point you need to grow up. The author of Hebrews talks about that in chapter 5 as well. That's not what Peter's saying. Peter is using milk in a very different way. He's saying, look, when a baby is born, there is something that is normal and natural for that child. What's normal and natural for a newborn or a young baby is to crave milk. They want it. it's, Nobody has to teach the baby to want the mother's milk. The baby just wants it. It's normal. It's natural. So when Peter talks about this pure spiritual milk, some translations say the milk of the word, which seems to point to the Bible, and that's good. That's true. We should crave the scriptures. I just think that's a little too narrow of a definition for what Peter's actually talking about here. What Peter is saying includes scripture, but it's broader. The word here for spiritual is the same word in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper form of worship. Uh, That's what the NIV says. Others say this is your spiritual worship. We don't have a good English word for this. But the idea for this Greek word is something that acts, lives, thinks in accordance with what it is. So a baby craves milk because it's a baby. It's just normal. It's natural. What Peter is saying is, you are now a Christian. Crave those things that are in line with who you are in Jesus Christ. Set your heart on them. Focused on them. Don't be dragged back into these other things. And believe me, when I said he's not talking about the Word of God here, I mean, that's a big part of it. We should be craving the Word of God. But specifically here, he's tying this into loving one another. Crave showing love for other believers because that's who you are. Crave the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. There's a warning here. If we don't show love to other believers, we're stunting our growth in our relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, so that you may grow up in your salvation. If we are not living out our relationship with Christ, and in the context Peter is saying specifically in how we love one another, we're not going to grow up. And we need to grow up. Let me ask you, do you crave showing love to brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? Do you come to church hoping you're going to get a lot out of it? I hope you do. That's good. But can I challenge you and encourage you to just add something on that or maybe turn that around? I want to come to church to show love to somebody else. When you get up in the morning and you're You're going off to work and you know you're going to see some brothers and sisters in Christ there. Maybe they might not even come to this church or maybe a family member or maybe it's a Sunday and you're coming here during the midweek and you're going to a Bible study. Stop and say, God, help me to show love to my brother and sister in Jesus Christ. So many of us come wanting to receive love and we need it. But could you imagine if we all came wanting to show love? Do you think that if every single person here came with a passionate, craving desire to show love to one another, do you think that you would feel love? Absolutely. And let me just encourage you. As elders, we we get the opportunity to sit with new members and to hear about their experiences coming to Orchard. And the number one thing that we hear over and over again is people saying, the moment I walked in the door, I felt loved by this body. And I'm always blown away by that because, you know, I'd like to think I'm kind of strategic and I plan things and try to build programs around things that are important. And we don't really have a big program about showing love. I mean, we have some to care for needs and things like that. But do you know why I think you guys are a loving church? It's because we're focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will show love. So let me ask you, did you come to church looking for something dumb to do? (laughs) Don't answer that. (laughs) Do we love other Christians because it's the fun thing to do in the moment? Because it's convenient? Because it makes us feel good? And you know how you can really tell if that's true? What happens when it's no longer fun? What happens when it's no longer easy and it doesn't feel natural? Do you keep on loving that person? That's the true test. As Christians, we have a constant and great unchanging reason to love each other. The gospel of Jesus Christ never changes. And if the gospel never changes, neither should our love for one another And the world needs to see our love for one another. Because it's looking for something greater than I'm just looking for something fun to do. It's looking for something deeper and more meaningful. And there are people sitting here today that are desperately needing to feel the love of Jesus Christ in their life. And how you treat them, how we interact with each other, is either a good demonstration of the gospel... Or it's a bad demonstration of the gospel. Love one another deeply and from the heart. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. God, we all struggle with this. We know that as sinful people, we are selfish, we tend to seek after our own ways. Those things that make us feel good. And selfishness and Christian love are complete opposites. And so, Father, may we see that the fight to love one another is a fight for the gospel itself. To remind ourselves of who we are through your Son, Jesus Christ. To remind ourselves who the person next to us is through Jesus Christ. Father, may we put effort into loving one another. That the gospel would overflow in our lives and overflow to the world around us to be a visible demonstration of the truth of salvation through Jesus Christ. God, may we as Christians never settle or be satisfied with this world's surfacy and shallow definitions of love. may we be a demonstration of something so much greater that when those who don't believe in Jesus see the way we treat one another, rather than saying, why would I want that? I can get that anywhere else. May they instead say, there's something about how you love one another that's different than anything I've ever seen. May we tell them in that moment about your son, Jesus Christ, and how he has loved us.